Hello, and welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York, that believes wherever you are in your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this week's sermon. Thank you all for coming today and to be able to spend this time worshiping together and to um, build community and to share community with one another. Um, If you haven't been with us uh, the past couple of months, um, we're in a series uh, talking about fear and uh, faith and fear. Um, I think there's so many things in our lives that where fear cripples us, um, where it puts us in a place where we feel just devastated, at a loss, confused, anxious, um, all of the above. And a lot of times we, we're, we're in a place where we don't really know what to do with these emotions and these thoughts. And we're gonna just, we've just been kind of just biblically looking through some examples and some places where we see God coming in and giving hope and faith in certain areas. Um, but I do always want to say that none of these things are bad. Um, I think it's, it's good to understand if you read through the Psalms, majority of these Psalms are laments. Um, as Janice mentioned, you have these moments of great victory and literally a couple of passages later, you see moments of just defeat and sorrow. Um, and so that's kind of the complexity of the Christian faith. It's learning to live in these both, both these places of joy, of hope, but also holding places for grief and lament. Um, and so I'm going to just say a word of prayer for us as we open up um, the word and um, just kind of dive in, unpack this together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for um, the Sunday gathering. We thank you for this beautiful weather um, to be able to come and to share and delight in the company of one another, in the conversations of one another, that God, um, that your church um, is really just here to be able to acknowledge you, to honor you, to glorify you, but also to share in beautiful community and life together. And so, Lord, as we unpack this, um, this realm and this theme of fear, um, show us what it means to have faith and to look at the face of fear and to know that you are present with us. And so, God, lead us today. May your words just be of spirit and wisdom. We thank you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today, um, I'm going to be unpacking the fear of, of, uh, of grief, of loss and death. Um, and I think it's definitely a heavy topic. And I'll be honest, um, it's tough preparing for a sermon like this, um, not because it's a sad topic, but because a lot of the commentaries in the books you read is just like suffering, pain, death. Um, and so I was like, I kind of need a mental break. <laughs> um, so luckily yesterday, I kind of just took, kind of unpacked and unwinded a little bit and just... Um, Yeah, it's it's a complex place to live and a complex theme to say, hey, have faith in the midst of death. And what I'm talking about is not in a place where just have joy and be optimistic all the time, right? Because I think so many times um, the Christian offering is you just got to be happy. And the moment that you feel like you're down, you're sad, or you feel look defeated, you don't have faith. Um, that's, not, that's not the realm where I'm, or the trajectory where I want to go today. But I want to look at originally that when we look at God's design, when he created humanity, when he created the world, when he created all things, kept saying that it is good. And so the original design, we have to go back to that to, to reflect and to remember how God created this world. It was a life that was meant to be flourished, uh, flourishing. It meant to be a li- life that was just marked with beauty and growth and life. Death was not part of the equation. Disease and sickness was not part of the equation. Grief and loss was not part of the equation. The original design that when he claimed it all to be good was a life of eternity and flourishing. 
And unfortunately, we, we know, you know, if we look in the scriptures early on, we see the, the, the fallout of humanity very early on. We see sin entering into the world. We see, the, the, we see death and murder occurring as soon as, we, uh, as soon as humanity falls apart. We see um, Adam and Eve dealing with shame and guilt. And we realize the, 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 the fractured peace that that is the world that we live in today. But for us to be able to hold on to truth and to hope is to look, at, look back at the original design of God. What was God's intention? And we look in this passage in Psalm 55, 1, 8, and maybe some of us are here today. Maybe some of us are in a place where we're, we're holding a place of loss and grief. Maybe we're in a place where there's been a joy and hope that's being stripped away whether it's by looking at the news cycle, whether it's looking at our relationships, maybe looking at, back at our history and our life, and there's so much brokenness and shattered pieces, and we, we kind of reflect Psalm 55 here. It says, listen to my prayer, O God. Do not, do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. My thoughts trouble me, and I am distraught because of what my enemy is saying, because of the threats of the wicked, for they bring down suffering on me and assail me in their anger. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen on me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. I said, oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee far away and stay in the desert. I would hurry to my place of shelter, far from the tempest and storm. I mean, it's very poetic, but how many of us in just better, better words or less, that we feel this position, this place where it says, my heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen on me. It seems kind of dramatic over there, but fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. And this, this, these final verses, 6, 7, and 8, saying, like, I, I wish I just could go away. I wish I could just get away from all of this, whether to a physical place, emotional, mental place. I wish I could get away from all this horror, all this anguish. I mean, that's kind of like the, 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 the recipe and the, the, the cycle that we go through. We experience loss, death, tragedy, suffering, pain. And we go, I, I wish I could just get away. And C.S. Lewis, um, he wrote a book called Grief Observed. And originally when the book was published, um, it wasn't under his name. It was, it, was, it was essentially his journal of him processing and dealing with the grief of losing his wife. Um, it was him thinking out loud of his faith journey with God and him just kind of writing down just his initial thoughts and feelings. And you can see it, it's almost, it almost reads like the Psalms, or it goes back and forth. <laughs> God, I feel that you're near to me, and then where are you? And C.S. Lewis, one of the a couple of quotes I just kind of extracted that are very popular from this um, book is called uh, Grief Observed. It says, no one ever told me that grief felt so like fear. That grief feels so much like fear. That loss... The, the, the thought of losing something or someone is entrenched in fear. And this is him talking about his wife. says, her absence is like the sky spread over everything. If any of us have experienced death or loss of someone that we love, it, it just, it's a fog. You just feel this, this dark cloud. You can't think what's next. You can't think what's going to, you know, your, your thoughts are just clouded. And it feels it feels just confusion and grief and loss. All these emotions coming in. It says her absence like the sky spread over everything. So what do Christians do with the weight of suffering, grief, and death? Because the way the Christians approach it 
it's a different lens and, 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 and attitude towards grief, fear, and death. It's different than how the world perceives it and how the world absorbs it. It's, it's different than how the world engages it and responds to it. But so much of Christianity and faith as you read through, throughout Scripture is marked with these things of suffering, grief, and death. We see the life of a Savior who's a man of sorrows, prophesied not to be a man of high position, of royalty, of luxury, but a man of sorrows. That's, that's the mark of our Savior. But ultimately, we, we engage this question of how do Christians discover courage in the midst of death? Whether it's the death of a loved one, whether it's the death of a relationship that ended abruptly, a friendship that kind of dissolved and we're kind of wondering what happened to that, death of a dream, of a career, of a vision, death of a, of a, of a life. Um, you know, the, one of the things when I enter into pre, um, premarital counseling is talking about this enchantment of marriage or the enchantment of having a kid. And we grieve it because it doesn't live up to those expectations. We, we, we deal with this kind of this place of death. But how do Christians discover courage in the midst of that? Where do Christians discover courage? Um, Epicurus, he's a Greek philosopher on 300 BC. Um, it was, it, you know, I, I'm not going to unpack everything. I am not a Greek philosophy major, right? <laughs> There's some excerpts I've read in, during my time, my Bible college, and um, just my casual reading, so I'm no expert in this field. But um, one of the things that's always engaging is to see how the rest of the world perceives death. There's so many different religions and how they explain death and they talk about death. But Epicurus, it was interesting because for him, as all these scholars and philosophers are pursuing the meaning of life, what is your purpose? You know, what is your destiny? How do you live? He, talk, he, he spent his life studying what makes people happy. What, what, what brings joy and contentment? And in that, one of his responses to death is this. Death does not concern us because, we long, because as long as we exist, death is not here. And once it does come, we no longer exist. He says, we don't fear death, essentially, because who cares? It doesn't matter. Once you're gone, you're gone. You're atoms and you just dissolve. So why fear something that doesn't matter, doesn't exist? And so that, you know, this was a very counter, you know, to the world religion and even to Christianity. And Christianity was in, this was a response to religion. And his followers felt that they were relieved to know there's no afterlife. They were relieved to know that once we die, that's it. We just dissolve as atoms. Death does not concern us. I mean, that sounds bold. That sounds courageous. But the reality is our perception of death impacts how we live. And a lot of times uh, when I have conversations with people and they say, well, you, you believe in a God, you believe in religion because you need something to make yourself feel better about death. You need something in your life that can kind of resolve this or figure out some answers or response to your troubles and your worries. And so this, this, this statement kind of came about um, for his followers and, and Epicurus' followers, this was written on a lot of their tombstones. It just simply says, I was not, I was, I am not, I care not. I was, I was not, I was, I am not, I care not. This is the life that his followers lived so freely because life, wasn't, life had no significance because death had no significance. 
But my, my position, my conversation is always, I think it takes a lot of boldness and courage to know that there is something after death. There's a, it takes more courage to know that there's something greater and beyond who we are and how we exist today. It takes boldness to live a life with hope. It takes boldness to live a life with joy. See, the, the premise is there's no fear in death because it's meaningless. But I want to say that as Christians, we don't fear death because of hope and courage. See, we find our astonishing courage and hope in Jesus Christ and his resurrection. It is a ridiculous type of hope. It is an irrational type of hope that in the death of a Savior, we find life. That in the death of Jesus, we find this courageous hope that we can live with where when we face despair and brokenness and death, we can say that there is life. In Romans 6, 8 to 10, Paul writes, Apostle Paul writes, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since was raised from the dead, since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. We look at the resurrection of Jesus and we accept that death is not our master. We look at the resurrection of Jesus and, and I'm just trying to engage and imagine as Jesus was being buried, that is, the followers of Jesus are going all in on this. This is their last, this is their final hurrah. If he, Jesus does not come out of that tomb, all is lost. All is lost. They've witnessed his death. They witnessed their Savior being brutally murdered and crucified, put away. And no matter how many times Jesus has told them, I am the resurrection, I am the life, no matter how many times Jesus has told them the narrative, what will happen, you can't help but to be just left in wonder and, and fear. Will he come out? Will he come out? And the moment that Jesus appeared to his followers, that resurrection changed the course of history for all his followers. These disciples who feared death, these disciples who were, were is, is, you know, is, is the resurrection life true? Is the resurrection life what we hinged and we went all in on? These disciples who lacked faith, these disciples who abandoned Jesus, as we talked about Peter a couple of weeks ago, as they have fell short in the, being followers of Jesus so many times, time, just miracle after miracle again, now Jesus appears to them in the resurrection. He appears to them in the resurrection, and now there's a trajectory that has changed. They no longer fear death. All the disciples essentially died brutal deaths. In the midst of saying to, to deny the presence of Jesus, deny the account and resurrection of Jesus, they did not fear that. They looked at loss, grief, and suffering and said, no, this is, this is the calling, this is the cross that I bear. And I, I know that's a weird thing for us to kind of to place our mantle and our identity on, to say, this is the suffering, grief, and loss, this, this is my cross to bear. But that's what they did. The resurrection gave them this infinite hope, this irrational hope that the world could not explain, that the world could not understand. Everything that looks plagued with darkness and hopelessness becomes overturned at the cross. 
Everything that looks like a dead end, bring, is, there's new life now at the cross. And when we look at our lives, when we see the, the, the despair that kind of surrounds us, whether it's what's happening globally, what's happening in, ho- in our homes, in our families, what's happening in our neighborhood and community, we see the brokenness of, of systems, of injustice. We see things that just look hopeless and dead. We look at visions that we've, maybe God has placed in our lives, callings that God has placed in our lives, and we kind of surrender because we don't see the opportunity anymore. We don't see kind of like the, the light at the end of the tunnel, so we've given up on it. Maybe we're dealing with the loss of relationships and friendships that ended abruptly, that we thought this was going, this was, I felt like it was going in a good place. But whatever circumstances came, whether they moved or a, a, con, a point of conflict, now we feel like, okay, that's gone now. I can't go back to that place. We become surrounded of grief, suffering, and loss. And the reality is none of that is new. If anything, it's to be expected. That in this life, that unfortunately this fractured piece of God is the reality that we live in. And so often... We live in this despair and this hopelessness. We kind of come to a conclusion that nothing can be done. Nothing, no, no one can resolve this. Nothing, no one can remedy this feeling that I have of pain, of suffering. But we look at the life of Jesus and we see a Savior that was crushed. We see a man of sorrows. We see Jesus who is experiencing loss and brokenness being severed from the Father. We look at that, and we also realize that in the resurrection as he reappears, that he says, there is hope beyond what we can see and experience today. There's hope and courage in the midst of suffering and death. Uh, Timothy Keller, who passed away recently, um, wrote just so many amazing and beautiful articles on grief and loss of his journey battling through cancer multiple times. And it's, it, it's been a strange feeling rereading some of his stuff now that he's passed. Um, it's been interesting reading some of the articles and interviews that he's had while he had his diagnosis, knowing that he's facing death. Um, there's actually a book that he wrote on the resurrection in Easter when he got his um, diagnosis again of cancer. And rereading all this one of the things um, he wrote in an article or he said in an interview was, I've counseled and comforted so many people through loss and death and through you know, funerals, comforted people in counseling, comforted widows, all, the beyond, all of these. And he's like, now that I'm facing death, what will I say? What are the words that I will say? And in one of the, in one of the excerpts, Tim Keller, he writes, on the one hand, you can try to avoid grief. You can try to avoid weeping. That will either make you hard and inhuman or else it will erupt later and bite you and devastate you. The other mistake is to grieve without hope. The love and hope of God and one another has to be rubbed into our grief the way you rub salt into your meat or it will go bad. Your grief is either going to make you bleaker and weaker or it can make you far wiser and good and tender depending on what you rub into it. That's what we're here to do. We're here not just to weep, but to rub hope and love into our weeping. Christianity is a complex, a complex point of joy, hope, and grief and loss. 
It can, and the, the beauty of the cross and the beauty of the resurrection is that Jesus can hold the weight of all of that. Jesus can hold the heaviness of the things that we feel so, that, that feel shattered, the things that we miss, the things that we feel like we can't go back on, the tears, the sorrows. Jesus holds that heaviness, but at the same time, he offers this beautiful joy and hope. He offers this place of life in the midst of, as we said in that song, ruins and destruction. And if you ever have a chance to read a book in, um, in, uh, in the Old Testament, Ezekiel is a pretty wild book to read. Um, the prophet Ezekiel, um, man, what a journey for him. Living during the, during the time of the, of the Jewish exile under Babylonian rule, God calls him. And he, he gives this prophetic, and you know, the first, I think, 33 books of Ezekiel, man, it is just depressing. This, this man does, does everything he can to get the attention of the people of God, right? He, he, there's so, many, so much imagery, like he, the, the, the things that he inflicts on himself to be like, hey, this is a representation, right? It, it's, like, it's like modern day art, essentially, what he's trying to do to present to uh, the people of God. He says, hopefully this will make sense if I do it this way. All right, if you're not getting it, so there's all these wild imageries and all these things that he, and behavior that he does. And even in the process of his prophetic ministry, he loses his wife. And yet he begins to, he begins to preach and to, and to show and to encourage and to draw people back to God. Because the city's in ruins. People have abandoned God. They haven't had a prophet in years. And here comes Ezekiel trying to offer hope, asking people to turn from their ways and they won't listen. It's a tough ministry that he's called to. But once we get to this place in 37, Jesus, I mean, God calls out this, uh, God calls out Ezekiel in verse 3, says, he asks me, son of man, can these bones live? And maybe that question is marked for us in our life today. He's calling out to us and said, hey, these dreams that you've had, these dreams of hope, can this live? And the marriage that looks just absolutely broken, destroyed, can this marriage be revived? The sons and daughters that have gone astray, maybe family members that have been led away, can they come back home? Maybe I know the holiday seasons are coming up and we're looking at family gatherings and be like, oh man, this is gonna be a mess. <laughs> can there be joy? and healing, and, and reconciliation. Can this live? Can this person who is marked with grief and sorrow find joy and hope again? And a lot of times when we face place, as C.S. Lewis talks about, that the grief is like the sky, it covers everything. We wonder, can I live again? Can I be a person of hope? Can I have the courage to dream again? Can I have the courage to be able to look at the things in life and know that not everything is lost? I don't know if you kind of get into this spiral of being on social media and just like every, every swipe, every scroll, it just gets bleaker and bleaker. Like, you just feel this life and hopes being drained out of you, 
right? And that's kind of how I feel social media sometimes. I go on for just some wholesome content, right? It's just all baby stuff now. <laughs> Going for some wholesome content, some cute things, and then it just, it just, it just downward spiral. It just begins to crash. And the more I scroll and swipe, the th I entered in with joy and like laughter and chuckles. And then now I'm like, God, are you in this world? Do you not see what's going on? And maybe so much of our life looks and reflects that way. We'll wake up in the morning, today's going to be a good day. Today is going to be better than yesterday. I, I have hope. I am positive. I am optimistic. You walk in, your coworker says something, it's like, nope, it's gone, it's done. My day's ruined. Someone doesn't hold that train door for you, just stares at you as you're running. No, nope, my day's gone. Ruined. We begin to see, look, look around us. And, you know, New York City, you know, I, I love New York City, but at times, as you just, you just, if you just open our, our eyes for a moment and just observe, and there's so much despair, so much brokenness, just walking down the same street that you lived on. And if you just open our eyes for a moment, you see the brokenness, you see the injustice, you see... You feel helpless at times. And so God is asking Ezekiel, son of man, can these bones live? Can this city come back to life? Can your family be healed? Can your neighborhood be healed? Can your, can your broken relationships be healed? Can the wound of grief and suffering be healed? And I love Ezekiel's answer. Sovereign Lord, you alone know. He's like, I have no idea. You've called me into this ministry. I've, I've cut off my beard, right? I've lost my wife. I'm looking at the city. No one is responding. No one is turning back. I don't know. Sovereign Lord, you alone know. And maybe we feel like that in our, in our city, in our circumstances. God, I don't know. I'm putting my hands up. This is, this is too much tragedy, too much brokenness. Only, only you know. But this is the beauty passage this, in chapter 37. If you ever have time to read, I'm just going to kind of breeze through it. In verse 4, God says to Ezekiel, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you will come up to life then you will know that I am the Lord. As Tim Keller talks about here, talk, talking about hope and grief, two challenges that we have as Christians. First is to prophesy. Speak truth into the lives and situations that seem so far broken, that seem dark and bleak. And I'm not talking about just prophesizing, trying to tell the future, everything will be all right. There's no guarantee of that. During the whole pandemic, everyone's like, it's going to get better in two months. I'm like, awesome. But what if it doesn't? Okay, I, I'm just, I'm just kind of like the pessimist in that situation. It's going to be better in a year. I'm like, but what if it doesn't? Church will get better. What if it doesn't? What if things get worse? I'm not banking on the optimism of a false saying that things will just get better. I want to hold on to the words of God. And that's what he tells Ezekiel. Speak my words and breathe life into them. 
not just any words, not just false hope and false promises, not just a pat in the back, like, it'll be okay. I'm like, you don't know that. <laughs> I don't know that. Oh, grief will pass. You don't know that. <laughs> I don't know that. What I want to hear, what I need to know is, what does God say? What is the truth that he speaks into these dry bones? What is, this, what is the truth that he speaks into this valley of brokenness and despair? So I'll breathe life into it. We prophesy. Ezekiel is told to breathe life into those things that are dead. And today, maybe there's this calling, this, this conviction, this compelling thing that for us to speak into the situations, into our hearts that seem so dark and marked with grief and asking God to breathe life into it, to bring truth and hope. The second thing is we pray. I don't seem simple, right? Um, and, and in a non-related sermon, um, Tim Keller talks about uh, the book of Job, how all of Job's friends and their words were rejected, but Job, who complained a lot, <laughs> right? If you ever read through the book of Job, he's just angry at God, just lamenting, just brutally honest. Um, Job is the book that gave me permission to pray how I'm feeling to God, that he could, he could handle it, he could manage it. And Tim Keller brings out that the reason that Job was honored and God received it was because at the end of it, he still prayed. He wasn't just looking for counsel and advice from others. He prayed. It didn't matter what he prayed, but he prayed. And prayer is such a simple thing. And in, in, in church, it, it could just be a casual thing. Just say a prayer to God. But prayer in its essence, in its core, is deep, deep trust in a God who is, has resurrected. We don't pray to dead things. We don't pray to things that don't have life and purpose. We pray to a God that has resurrected, that hears our prayers, that sees our tears and hears our laments. We pray to a God that is, that is present. We pray to a God that is not just foreign to death and suffering, but who is intimate and familiar with pain and loss. And that's one of the beauty and the, and the things that is so irrational about the gospel. How can you believe in a, in a Savior that seems so weak and feeble? How can you believe in a Savior that was killed by his own creation? But we look at the prophetic words and then we see that Jesus was someone that was familiar with pain and loss. He wept even though he knew he could resurrect Lazarus. His ministry was marked with healing. Healing wasn't just a kind of a circus act that Jesus did to draw the crowd, although it did, right? Paralyzed man walking, sign me up, I want to see that show. People healed from leprosy, restored, I want to see that. But the healing was a simple sign and marking of the kingdom of God that is to come, the true healing, the fulfilled healing. Saying, my ministry my life is going to be marked with hope in the midst of suffering. Have courage. It's a different type of faith. In the end of Grief Observed, um, and if, I, I highly encourage you, if any of you are dealing with grief and loss of a loved one, that it's a hard book to read, but a beautiful book to read. In the end, essentially, C.S. Lewis comments that he's, he has gratitude for having received and experienced the gift of true love. 
after all the loss and just the back and forth that he has with God and himself, his own emotions. And it's a weird thing to be marked of gratitude. And I, and I realized, even for me, in processing my own personal grief in the midst of a season of death, of friends that have committed suicide, of family losing loved ones, family members, it's tough. And I'm not saying this from a place where I've come out at the end of it. Grief just hits you whenever. There, there's, no, there's no rationality with grief. It just comes whenever it wants. But in the midst of that, I try to hold on to the words of Christ. I trust in him. I trust that he's the resurrected savior. And because of that, as we look at Romans 8, I mean 6, the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives in God. And because of that, we have life. We can share in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not as some people would say that death is meaningless and everything ceases to exist, so we don't fear that. No, I don't fear death because I know that death does not have mastery over my life. The redemptive work of Jesus and the work on the cross is his statement, his stamp to tell the world that all the death that we witness, all the brokenness that we see, all the tragedy and atrocities that we experience will not have the final say in this lifetime. That he is the one who brings healing, restoration. And I'm going to invite um, the worship team up right now. And I, I don't know what kind of season you feel like you're in right now. Maybe some of us are stuck in a place. It's just been this vicious cycle of grief, loss, suffering. Um, it's like, God, when can I get some good news? When will things kind of pick up and look better for me? When will my season of joy come? I had a conversation with someone who, who's not a Christian about that. When will my season of joy come? I'm like, I don't know. This isn't an era thing. Um, our season of joy is continuous. Our season of joy is steadfast. Our season of hope exists today, tomorrow, and forever. In the face of death, it exists. I promise you, because Jesus has promised us. The gospel is tough. It's complex. And um, I don't know if any of you have been in the church for a long time, but there's a, there's a Christian band called Switchfoot. Um, old, old band. If, if you chuckled, you've been in the church for way too long. Um, but there's a band called Switchfoot. Um, and one of their albums, called, song called Beautiful Letdown. Um, and a friend that passed away recently, uh, a friend from college, um, another one of my college mates, kind of pulled up one of his blogs writing about that song. And he's like, he just says that it's just confusing sometimes to live in a place with so much brokenness and pain and yet experiencing the joy of Christ. And he says, do I dare to find things beautiful? Do I dare to find things with wonder and beauty? And I think that's, that's the call for the church, to rub that hope into places of grief. Uh, wherever we go, is there a light of prophetic truth and of hope? The people that we encounter. Or is there a trail of despair and brokenness? 
And my, 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 my plead isn't for us to be a church that is just happy all the time, that just smiles all the time for no reason. No, my, call, my, my, my hope and my, my plead with us as a church is that do we live up to our name? Is it a place where people can come and find redemption and restoration? That they feel like they've just reached the end of their rope. They're in a place of deep grief, a pit of darkness and brokenness, and they come and they find the light of Jesus and resurrection. That job isn't just mine. The calling is for the church to live that out. And I want to go back to the words of Tim Keller. We are, not, we are here not just to weep, which I'll say we have permission to weep, but to rub, rub hope and love into our weeping. It's a confusing thing. It's, it's, it's a perplexing thing. But that's the beauty and irrational hope that we have, the courage of a savior. And so um, before I call the communion ushers to come up, actually, just take a moment. If we can just pray and think about how we pray today. Are we just praying to just lift up some words into the air, into the abyss? Or are we face to face with our Savior who has resurrected? I say, God, be present in my grief, be present in my suffering. Because we know that you restore all things. Let's just take a moment if we can just offer that prayer to God, just to look at his face. Saying, God, just come. Hear my prayers. Hear my cries.